So we're very long-term family of farmers, um, and it's only just been in this last generation that it started to feel precarious, you know. So that's not a new story in Wisconsin, in the country at this time, and we're just trying to figure out how we can modify and change to continue to be successful. Hello, my name is Corey, and I just want to say, welcome to the GrassCast. This is Stories on Pasture, stories from the grazing community about their experiences getting started and going forward. This week, I have the real privilege of bringing you Sandy and Lois Schwartz's story. This mother-daughter duo is in the process of transitioning the family farm located in the Driftless region, southwest Wisconsin, from dairy, it's been dairy for a long time, into something a little different. They're actually just now in the process of starting up the sand farm. This is its first season, and it's mixed vegetables, grass-fed beef. They're hoping to have some pork and some poultry not too far down the line. We spoke at the Grassworks Conference back in January of 2020. I just think it was really cool to get a mother-daughter perspective on farm transitions. Not something we hear a lot about, but really important. And Sandy and Lois also had some valuable insight on what it means to come from a multi-generation farm family and thinking about their transition in that context, as well as, you know, some of the challenges that folks who are transitioning here and now, literally today, are up against. So I think that's enough from me. I'll let Lois and Sandy take it from here. My name's Lois. I am Sandy's mother and have been a part of farming, sometimes unintentionally, for all of my life. I grew up on a farm. I worked as an educator and I'm in our current situation for 42 years. And I'm Sandy Schwert and I grew up on my parents' farm, which is still a working dairy farm, and left going off to school with the same adage, I'm never going to farm, but got a degree in art, became a graphic designer, became a web developer, and then one day was like, this is terrible. I would want to do nothing but work outside. I should have been a farmer. <laughs> so now that was about almost four years ago. I've been working on other people's farms, not on short farms, and am ready to come back and start converting short farms from the dairy into a pastured beef, pastured pork, and organic vegetable operation. I um, grew up outside of Prairie on my parents' farm, and my grandparents had been there too. And while I was still in elementary school, we sold our dairy cows. So I was nine years old. I feel like I didn't grow up as a dairy farmer. Um, I married a dairy farmer on his family's farm, 
but I was an art educator in public schools for 10 years, and then I got a master's degree in um, school library, and I worked at local schools for another 28 years. I'm semi-retired. I don't do that, but I work at a local apple orchard as well as on our farm. And growing up, Mom always made sure that we did all kinds of very interesting things, including with farming. We always showed cattle. She made sure that we had brown Swiss, registered brown Swiss, that were actually ours. You know, you learn how to clip cattle. Mom made sure that she learned how to do those things and then passed them on to us. And as just as part of farming, we always had a garden. My grandmas both gardened. My um, grandpa on my mom's side had an enormous garden and orchard that was very close by. And so we were always outside working with plants and animals and in a very intimate way. So those things were important, and it wasn't until high school that I really started to reject them. Um, and that's just, I was a snot. <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not to cut in, but really, who isn't at that age? We were all confused at 18. I know at least I was. Went through college and also was very much into art was a studio art major, which then turned into graphic design, which turned into web design and web development. I learned how to code. That all fell to the wayside pretty quickly um, for being in a cubicle. And being in cubicle work is pretty oppressive, at least for me and my personality type. And it was really only 10 years into that when I just couldn't do it anymore. I had to get back outside. Um, and it was really like something had broken or snapped. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I, you know, it was done. And so I got a job as a beekeeper. <laughs> Not to minimize what was definitely a really difficult moment for Sandy. But this is by far the coolest beginning of a transition back to farming story that I've heard yet. And that was it. I did that part-time for a summer and then was immediately like, I have to do this full-time again. So I found a job on an organic vegetable farm just south of Madison. Um, that was a CSA farm and have been doing that for the last two seasons. And now we're working on transitioning our own farm. So that's sort of the whole life story. <laughs> you notice it's... Um... <laughs> You know, my daughter and myself, mm -hmm. more than my husband, who also is a farmer, that's his entire life, farmer and an uh, excellent mechanic. And we have a son who's also returned to the farm. They're not maybe quite as ready to move into some of the new things that are happening in farming. So we're here learning, and we're going to bring those things back and continue to chip away at the iceberg. <laughs> Moving slowly. Yeah, 38 years to do that. <laughs> Moving slowly towards the equator. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> I mean, they do know it. Like, it's not a surprise that we've not been silent about it. You know, we've been talking to them about the things we've been learning. Not just at this conference, but I was also at the Resilient Farms Conference this past fall. And also just picking up things along the way. That slow chip away, we've managed to move some ideologies towards organic, which is what I'd really like to do. So that's actually now in the works. We've started our organic certification process. Um, and yes, that's just really been a number of years of quick mention here, an argument there, a meet this person, 
you know, and so now it's, it's starting, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, it's, we're in a trans, very transitional period, which is both exciting and terrifying. It's a financial decision as well, too. Farming is difficult. And we're a long-term family farm. We'd like to see the farm remain with the family. Maybe we can go another generation. I mean, it's been in the family, in our direct line, since 1907. And then also we're just a very long line of farmers. Your family, going back generations, were farmers outside of Antietam, had wheat threshers that were burned at the Battle of Antietam. So we're very long-term family of farmers um, and it's only just been in this last generation that it started to feel precarious you know so that's not a new story in Wisconsin in the country at this time and we're just trying to figure out how we can modify and change to continue to be successful because we have had periods of really thriving success as a farm. The other thing um, for Sandy and I also is our concern for um, doing what we can do on our farm in terms of the environment. Mm -hmm. So we want to do our farming better. And I'm sometimes surprised because of what we read and talk about and listen to is my more traditional um, farm husband who occasionally isn't aware of some of the things that are happening. Right. We'll circle back to that in a second, but first, it's important to point out that Sandy and Lois and Schwartz Farms, they're not starting out from nothing. So we've been doing rotational grazing on our dairy farm for the entire, my entire life at least, that I know of. Um, I assume the entire existence of the farm. Some of those pastures have been around exactly that long without a lot of amendments and without a lot of conscious care. And they've done pretty well despite that, you know, being left a little wild. But we're hoping through conferences like this and through the resources that we get to learn how to rehabilitate those pastures, resources that will help us rehabilitate those pastures, and um, to be able to do that better, you know, learning about carbon sequestration in the soil is really kind of mind-opening and also with that comes the feeling that as individuals with this enormous resource the land that our farm is on that we have an opportunity that becomes a responsibility to be doing those things that we can you know as part of a greater solution we also have a lot of wetlands um, on our farm the Kickapoo River runs bisects it almost and a lot of that is flooding and I'm also really committed to trying to rehabilitate some of those wetlands which from what I've read would also help to relieve flooding pressure further downstream by restoring fields that were previously wetlands back to healthy wetlands we can help to let floodwaters actually filtrate down into the groundwater table rather than continue flowing on downstream to Wazika and the Wisconsin and into the Mississippi where heavy flooding continues to happen. So with this beautiful property, which I mean, it's stunning. It's in the Driftless, it's pastoral, it was idyllic. It is idyllic, 
comes also all of that responsibility to the ecology of the area and the other, the greater community, but also hopefully just a little bit more for the greater world. Remember, we're talking about a family farm. So that means family dynamics are a part of every aspect of the farm, especially when it comes to the transition. Well, Dan has been pretty receptive. He just doesn't do a lot of research on his own. Um, he's getting up there in years. Pretty good health for being 76. But I would love to see him get to stay in shop and putts and not feel like he had to be on top of the latest farming trends anymore and have to shoulder that responsibility. I think that's what he would like to do, and I would like to be able to facilitate that. My brother is a different case. I think that, like so many Midwestern men, he glorifies stoicism, and so he's often hard to talk to about some of these subjects. But yeah. You also have to have um, maybe a makeup and personality. Change isn't difficult for me. I sometimes relish it, I think, even. I just, you know, more of that makeup. Boris change can be very difficult for some people. And this is a multi generational farm. So the farm is owned by three members of the same family. So there's two brothers and a sister. Um, we're the married family with kids, the others are unmarried. And they're at a point where many people would retire, especially from the hard work of farming. There's some health problems, and I'm hoping I have another 10 good years of, you know, energy to put into the farm. <laughs> That's good. And, and we're interested in just trying something different and doing it a different way. So I want um, some pastured chickens. Mm -hmm. I have four chickens, and Sandy's developed a fondness for pigs. Pigs and turkeys. And then... Um, we want to move into some beef, and we're looking at some uh, grazing breeds. That can be finished on grass. Yes. Mm -hmm. We have a few, uh, just a few beef. I brought, I brought home the first Angus, so just for fun. <laughs> and, and those are just some, some steps. To Here we go. Here we go. It was a good move, Mom. Mm -hmm. Where I taught, I drove... Um, about 20 miles to work in Wazika, Wisconsin, and we lived near Gay's Mills. And I was telling Sandy, as our dairy would, would end, we would be the last dairy from Gay's Mills to Wazika on the, along the Highway 131, which when I started there in 1978, there certainly were a lot, a lot more. But I watched them go out. Many have been gone for a long time. We're, we're really a holdout. And it's still a sad transition. It feels like giving up something. Or not um, having met an expectation. Yep. Mm -hmm. I have memories of Grandpa Schwartz, Kenneth, always having a Cadillac. <laughs> Was it sort of a gentleman farmer thing? I'm not sure. But he always had a Cadillac. Even if I'm sure we couldn't afford it, but it was leather seats. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, n not quite meeting expectation, but you have to treat a farm like a business. It's a beautiful lifestyle. I, my friend Heather has a dairy farm in Maquoketa, Iowa, and she 
has a quote that she really lives by, which is that if you treat a farm like a business, it's a beautiful lifestyle. But if you treat a farm like a lifestyle, it'll be a terrible business. So it's been a gorgeous lifestyle for a long, long time. But we can make it that way again. <laughs> it's, it's hard, as you can see. Um, but I think there's a lot of hope. If you're not thinking backwards and you're looking forward. I mean, that's the way to deal with it. And uh, as long as we're talking about the forward part, it's really easy. Yeah, yeah. But as you can see, you know, you're looking at the things that feel like they're lost. That's hard. There's that, and somehow at this moment you caught us sort of reminiscing about it. Oftentimes we're really angry. That <laughs> <laughs> that things could have been done better, that things could have been... that some That we could have as a group been looking towards the future earlier and you know maybe headed some things off at the pass but because that didn't happen now we're in what is starting to feel like a bit more of a dire situation where something has to happen um, because of health issues with the older generation and terrible dairy prices terrible dairy prices um, and still having a stall barn and not being able to sort of pivot in a more fluid way, but sort of looking forward to the future is coming to conferences like this and learning about farm financials in a way that we haven't been paying attention to them for a long time. Getting on top of some of that stuff, learning new tricks, learning new computer programs, learning new marketing venues, um, getting to use some of that graphic design and marketing background and really like put that into play and really starting to, instead of thinking of the farm as this slow plodding behemoth, get out ahead of it like a business marketing border holly and start to direct it um, back to a better grasses. <laughs> yeah. Well, it may be keeping control of it ourselves rather than, for example, renting out the land mm -hmm. to someone else who won't have the same um, stewardship that we would like it to have to be involved in. Or like so many farms, selling it off piece by piece. So, Well, being that it's a family farm, the land went from the previous generation to three um, siblings that were on the farm at the time for a lot of different reasons. And the farm is 780 acres, mm -hmm. although there's some really rough land involved in it because it's um, along the river in the Driftless area. But like many family farms and family situations, communication isn't our strong suit. The three siblings own the farm, and I'm married to one of them. And um, yet, my, myself and my family, we've lived there all, you know, all the kids' lives, and I've lived there longer than anywhere else. So that in itself just is something that's difficult for a lot of family farms. So as you look at your next steps to move forward, those are some of the most difficult parts of it, is um, just being upfront about everything. Uh, finances and goals, dreams, ideas. And getting buy-in where you can, and then proceeding onward where you can't. Right. Yeah. So we have what we feel like is a pretty solid plan to move. It was an original farm that other 
we bought land, other lands, other farms. Moving one of the farms, the last farm that was purchased, doesn't feel quite so much like the Schwert Heritage Farm. But moving 30 acres of that, I head into organic and grazing. So different practices mm -hmm. done by different people. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this is a go. So that part's looking really good. And then trying to keep the conventional part uh, as healthy as possible while other things begin to be able to be changed. Yeah. People think of farming in romantic ways. Uh, you see it in the media, literature, but it's, it's not really truly anything that's, that fits very well. It, it's a tough life in a lot of ways. We love it. I can work from sunup to way past sundown, especially in the summertime. With and I'm happy. I'm happy. Yep. It, it works for me. You know, to be healthy. <laughs> For me, the, one of the more interesting things is our son came home to the farm from other employment and with a very specific project in mind that, that being on the farm would help him to accomplish. And he's, it's been three years he's still there. And I've always kind of felt like he wasn't really a farmer. That wasn't his interest as a child. He's figuring that out. And the second most, or equally not interested in farming is was Sandy and she's migrating to the farm as well and I find that interesting but who knows there's a pretty big farm so there's room for more that's true <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I know it's also been really interesting just recently I mean really the decision because I was going to work, um, continue working on other people's farms and continue learning about organic vegetable production and pastured, you know, poultry, pastured pork, wherever I could, and possibly learn about some of the other, you know, vegetables that I haven't had a chance to grow yet. That got pushed ahead partly because of my dad's health and his two siblings that they own the farm together. So instead of working in the Madison area and getting to sort of cherry pick which farm I'd like to learn from. I'm coming back and working at least part-time at another farm to continue being part of the community and having a mentor in the area um, so that we can get this started sooner than what would have been my, I had a five-year plan. It's a three-year plan now. <laughs> um, this is your three. <laughs> so we need to dive in. We have to figure out a new revenue stream so that the dairy can fade away. And it has to happen as soon as possible, which is tricky. I don't think anyone could have articulated quite as well as Sandy and Lois just did the true highs and lows of such a big transition. The joy and the pain. Sandy, Lois, thank you so much for sharing your story. If you'd like to find out more about what they're doing, keep track of them. They are now The Sand Farm, and you can find them on Facebook, at The Sand Farm. It's a really incredible page, beautiful photos. You should totally check it out. They're doing a few markets, too, if you want to visit them in person. You can find more info about that on their Facebook. One more time, in case you've forgotten, we are doing this podcast as a part of the Grassland 2.0 project. You can find out more about us and about that work at grasslandag.org. And all of this, of course, is in the show notes. 
links, etc., etc. Thanks also this week to our team, Michael Bell, Case Walton-Wheatley, Hannah Cass, who is our newest member, and Marnie McGregor. This was the last podcast that she's working on for a little while. She is taking a break, a pause, a moment of transition. Marnie, I just have to give you a special shout out because you are absolutely deserving of one in this moment and in all. We could not have gotten this podcast off the ground without you. It was your vision. It was your baby. We will do our best to keep it moving in (laughs) some sort of direction in your absence. And of course, perhaps the most important shout out, thank you to all the grazers, all the folks involved in grassland agriculture who have been willing to talk with us as a part of this project. You've shared your stories, your wisdom, your experiences. We are so grateful for the opportunity just to listen and to continue putting it out there in the world. Okay, I think that's it for this week. Keep an eye out. We've got another episode coming to you about two weeks from now. Stories on Pasture will continue. And uh, yeah, hope you have a good time until then.